Hello, and welcome to Bourbon and Tea. My name is Ryan Woltz, and I am here with Gwen. Say hello. Hi, how's it going? Good. And we also have Stacy here. Say hello. Hello there. Great. So Gwen is going to be my co-host for this week, and Stacy has brought some really, really great questions that um, I wanted to answer for everyone because I think it's some pretty common questions that we've been asking. Um, but first off, um, I have two important businesses, um, one of which is I've been getting some questions about um, how whether people that have either recovered from cancer or that have recovered from an autoimmune disease such as lupus or whether they're going through cancer treatment currently, whether they're going to be um, good candidates for the vaccine. Um, so just to save time, we will be answering those questions in section three um, or the third question. So stay tuned for that. Um, I'll kind of be answering those type of questions then. Um, but the second point is let's uh, get a recommended recommendation for a bourbon or tea. What do you guys got drinking? I'm drinking hey, some Stacey, peach. What are you drinking over there? I'm drinking a, a, a black tea with a peach flavoring. That cream. Sounds it's, awesome. It's pretty tasty. That sounds pretty nice. Ooh, yeah. Ryan, are you bourboning or are you teeing? Well, I'm not I'm not doing either right now, but oh. I am planning to make one of my favorite fall co bourbon cocktails later, which is essentially a um a whiskey sour, but instead I use obviously bourbon. I really like bullet for that because it's nice and spicy. And I'd like to replace a simple syrup with a maple uh, syrup. That way it kind of gives it this nice little maple flavor. And you can also throw in ginger and orange in there to, to make it really complicated. That sounds delicious. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll have to do it next time we hang out. Absolutely. So, so first. Uh, Gwen, why don't you help me introduce uh, Stacy and kind of get us all started? Yeah, so... Um this episode kind of comes out of some conversations that I've had with um, my good friend Stacy, um, who's here. Um, and Stacy uh, is uh, a massage therapist um, and hypnotherapist. And um, our daughters played together and went to school together. And, um, you know, she had some really interesting questions and ideas, uh, you know, even surrounding the vaccine and COVID. And a lot of these things were way over my head. And, so I thought, you know, Stacey, you should talk to my brother, Ryan. So, um, Stacey, hi, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for inviting me. Of um, course. Absolutely. So, yeah, so, so I, I have these questions, and I think a lot of people have um, some of the same questions that I've had. And I, I should just mention that part of the reason why I've been, uh, why I've read a lot of um, information about vaccines and how they work is because I have had a family member who had a bad reaction. Um, and so I just, it just got me more in, interested in learning more about, about them in general. Yeah, that's a very good reason to be interested, um, especially if, if someone shows signs of having some sort of allergic reaction or, or, or you know, some sort of reaction to it, uh, to really understand. I think 
a lot of the reasons that people might be scared of vaccines is is because of that mystery because they are very very complicated um kind of things to understand so you know really getting in tune with with um what they actually do might might help out as far as you know education and stuff like that yeah and i think a lot of people you know are curious like what's in a vaccine and you know some people who really love animals want to know if there's animal products in there or like in general how they work or you know all these different things like that um mostly we're just told uh it'll prevent these diseases and so you should really um do the recommended uh schedule (laughs) yeah i think the the main key behind this um podcast is you know kind of empowerment through education i think that was a very big point in the in the the first episode that we that we made here um so gwen what is the theme of today's um um, episode yeah so today um we're going to be talking a lot about of course the covid vaccine like for instance like what is in the vaccine um, also, you know, and generally speaking, how does the vaccine, the COVID vaccine work and what kinds are there currently? Uh, we're also going to talk about if it's safe to take the vaccine if you have an autoimmune disorder. I think there's a lot of conversation around, uh, you know, people who are, you know, prone to those um, season disorders, if, if that's something that they should consider. Um, and, and then lastly, if you've already had COVID, um, should you still get a vaccine? So all really good questions. And I have to say that, um, you know, just in kind of prepping for this, all of these are things that I've never heard on the news. You just kind of don't really get into this detail on anything you hear on the news. So I think that this conversation is going to be really helpful for people who really want to get educated um, about all of the specifics of, um, of the COVID-19 vaccine. So Stacey, what's the, what's the first question we have? Um, so the question, the first question is, you know, what are in these vaccines? Yeah. So generally what's, what's, you know, we have, we have three different types of vaccines um, going. And I think it's important to know which three are um, out there, which, because, you know, there are going to be, um, you you are going to have a choice, which is which is kind of nice. Um, well, you know, potentially, eventually, not not the first people, but you know, eventually, hopefully, by the end of the year, you will be able to have kind of some sort of decision on which which vaccine you're going to be taking. Now, um, the the easiest one to explain is the um, the attenuated virus, which is your traditional vaccine. Uh, so this is a vaccine that essentially uh, they've been making since the very first one in the you know late 1700s. Um, so so that's that's your first vaccine, and that has that that has a lot of different things that's involved in it. It's difficult to make, and and all this other stuff. Um, the the fastest attenuated virus that was or vaccine that was ever made took about. 10 years for mass production. So, you know, we're looking at a year and a half, which is, you know, to, to be able to get to the, 
you know, mass production of the general public, which is pretty amazing. Hey there, it's me in post-production. I just realized that I need to clarify something with the last uh, Oxford virus. So it is an attenuated virus, as I described, but it is not an attenuated SARS virus. It is an attenuated adenovirus, which um, essentially is a virus that was grown in chimpanzees that has been shown to have no reproductivity in human cells. So the benefit of this is that you're um, not introducing a virus that... Um, that is the coronavirus into the body. However, inside of this virus um, um, that cannot replicate, I can't stress that enough, includes a gene for the spike protein that would then be expressed on the surface of the cell and you would build up antibodies towards that. If people would like me to go over this mechanism more in depth in a later episode, please send me a message. And then the second one that we have is what's called an mRNA vaccine. Now, this vaccine is um, essentially RNA packaged in oil. It's like a, in, in an oil bag. So there's a few benefits to this, one of which is you don't have to grow it. It can be all synthetic. Uh, synthetic. Um, you know, so there's a lot of production you know, uh, uh, benefits to it. Um, and, and Ryan, to be clear, this is the this is the the current like vaccine, whether it's Moderna or um, when when you say um, the synthetic vaccine. Yeah, BioNTech and Pfizer. Yeah, yeah. And the attenuated uh, vaccine is the Oxford one, and that's out of the UK. So, but there yeah. are. Sure. The Oxford one, is that the same as AstraZeneca? Yes, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's easier for me to just say Oxford because it's a oh. more common name, but okay. it is the same one. Uh, they're, they're Oxford University is partnering with AstraZeneca. And, and can I just ask you one more thing about that attenuated one? Is attenuated sure. the same as when they talk about a live virus vaccine or is attenuated um, the, kind of the same as when they when when you're reading an article uh, in the in the mainstream media when they say uh, like a, a killed virus yeah so so essentially attenuated isn't well it can be killed um but mostly it's it's very very weak um the actual live virus um stuff is a little bit controversial um you we're not going to see it there's not going to be a live a live virus there the, there's um there's a purpose for it, which generally that's taken orally through a pill, and that will actually go and infect your intestinal system, and then that's where your immune system first responds, because your immune system is always looking for things in the intestines, because that's the easiest way for things to get into your body. Um, uh -huh. And so generally that one has been used by the military on and off, obviously to be able to get vaccines to their soldiers, you know, in very, very difficult places. But you, there's no COVID live vaccine. Uh, and, and, and I don't think that there's ever been a live vaccine used on the general public. 
So I'm coming in kind of from like, you know, the dummies point of view, because I I'm, don't really know a whole lot about a lot of this, right? I only kind of hear stuff on the news and I have educated friends and educated brother, of course. So <laughs> when we say, um, you know, uh, in a vaccine, you're talking about, you know, there uh, might be kind of some elements of a virus, but what about things that you hear like dog kidney or cow serum or egg protein and pork gelatin and oils and sharks and all, like when we're talking ingredients you know yeah. what is like what ingredients come in, in in let's take like the Pfizer vaccine that's like the big one you hear on the news that's yeah. up for approval what's in that one well well let me let me just kind of quickly finish this off because um the third vaccine that I want to talk about too is mm -hmm. the uh, because it applies to the shark oil is the antigen okay. vaccine which is essentially a um bag of oil with um the outside of the virus but that's it so essentially um when when your body's looking for bad bad viruses it's trying to recognize specific proteins and one of the proteins that looks for in the virus is a spike protein and that's the whole key here is how do we get your immune system to recognize the spike protein um and and that's okay. that's your key goal um so the three vaccines do it very differently. The attenuated virus uh, vaccine will basically introduce a virus that is highly weakened, um, almost to the point of it's on its deathbed, but the spike protein is still there. The antigen vaccine will, uh, you know, basically give you just the shell of the vaccine with the spike protein on the outside, and that's it. Now, the mRNA um, vaccine is an oil bag, and what it does is it goes into your um, cells, and it basically introduces RNA in the way that your cells start producing the spike protein so it can, it can excrete it, and then your body recognizes that spike protein. And now that we have three different ways of, you know, basically making your immune system try and recognize this spike protein which is on all the viruses now it can have uh, a way to look for the virus so um that's important in the way that um as far as the ingredients so yeah does it i mean is it like the kind of vaccine affects what ingredients go into it is that absolutely, what that is or absolutely what are the different ingredients for is it like to keep it alive is it so the body can absorb it is that the purpose of the different kinds of ingredients yeah so so let's get get the easiest one out here um the antigen vaccine uh which is you know again the the virus with just a spike protein on the outside so and that's the oxford no this one's actually vaccine. the chinese one um i i forget the okay. company that that is in china i'm sorry um but this is the chinese one they also started it in australia but i don't think australians one made it to phase three um yet so essentially what they do is they give you this but your immune system doesn't immediately respond to it because there's nothing in there to have your immune response. So there's two things. One is, you know, producing the spike protein so your body can do it, but also you need to say, hey, immune system, come check me out. 
Um, and so what these uh, two vaccines use is they use this snake, uh, uh, sorry, shark liver oils called squalene. And that squalene itself will signal the immune system to come and check out whatever is around there. So it's like a signal for it. And, mm -hmm. and so that's the whole purpose of this. But again, it's the, the, the main one that has it is the Chinese. So we're not going to see it. So you don't need to worry about it unless you live in China or one of the countries that China is, you know, donating vaccines to. So our- Stacey, I know that we've like talked about some concerns for people like vegans, for instance, right? Uh, Stacey, refresh my memory, kind of like what that issue is, I suppose, or what that concern is for, um, people who might be vegan are you oh me um well yeah. just because there's some some other vaccines that have not the not the one for COVID-19 but some other vaccines that are routinely given that do have egg proteins so people who are who have egg allergies shouldn't be taking those vaccines or mm -hmm. um there is one vaccine that uses, I think, kidney cells, kidney cell lines from dogs, from mm -hmm. a dog, <laughs> um, and another one. So a couple of them that use some some serum from cows. Um, and so there are um, taken from you know from animals, I guess. Got it. Got it. And so or, like or, so I guess. So um, I mean, I guess the other big concern that some people have is that the, uh, there's some other vaccines that utilize um, the cell lines that they're called diploid cells or they're from human, you know, cell lines. Yeah, so so we can we, uh, it, that's that's essentially the the cell lines themselves. Um, so one of the one of the things that has been kind of out there and a lot of this backlash against some of these uh, vaccines, especially against the Oxford one because of their cell line that they're using, is um, is essentially people are thinking that they're using the tissue from from the animals, like they're killing the animals and they're grinding up the tissue and somehow making a vaccine from the tissue. That that's not true at all. Um, so, but but this only really applies to the attenuated virus. So essentially what we need to do when we have an attenuated virus is we take a healthy COVID virus and we infect a cell line that is not really good for that cell, for that virus to infect. So it's like not not the best one. And then we let that grow until it, mutates enough to be able to infect that cell line. But what happens is is that makes a really, really bad virus to infect us. So I'm gonna post a link that you sent me um, because it has a really great table of the different type of cell lines for all these different vaccines that they're using. Um, but essentially that's that's what we're infecting we're actually just taking these cell lines now these cell lines can be around for you know 70 plus years the most famous one is the gila cell line uh the gila cell line yeah. was taken from henrietta in the 1950s from cervix cancer and and they started growing this you know kind of without our consent they they took it with her consent obviously because you know they were removing the cancer but 
and then you know this turned in that that cell line has turned into a multi-trillion dollar industry on cells and and it, it it's probably henrietta is the most influential non-scientist in history <laughs> on but, science wait can you back, back the train up a cell line sure. to, be, to clarify can yeah, you clarify you. exactly what is a cell line? Yes. Sure. So what we do is we'll take some sort of cells. Uh, you know, let's just take Henrietta for for example. We took um, those cells from the cervical cancer and we put them on a plastic plate, and we gave them media, which the media itself all it is is just nutrients and stuff like that. It's just water, nutrients, sugar, and everything that makes you know cells grow happy. And so those cells kept on replicating. And it kept replicating until they started growing over the plate, and this is called overgrown. So then what we did is they took those cells, the extra cells from that, and they put on a new plate. And then they kept doing that, and they did this over and Got over okay. tens and thousands okay. of times. So like, like making bread. Like making bread, <laughs> exactly. But okay, you know, got it. You're you're making these cell lines on a single yeah. layer of cells on a plastic sheet. So when you say that we are not using like ground up dog kidneys, we are using cell lines from a one single dog kidney, and then we grew that cell into a bajillion yeah. different cells, and we've used that ever since, kind of thing. Yeah, and so like when when I'm splitting cells yeah. and stuff like that, usually you know I'm counting like a hundred thousand cells. You know, so so that's how much is on your plate, depending on your how big your plate is, of course. But you know, so that's really all we need to start a cell line is about 100,000 cells, which is you know, the you you can barely see that. So mm -hmm. so so that's that's the amount of animal kind of stuff in here. Now we do have to say where that comes from because. Cells do produce chemicals and proteins and enzymes and lipids and all this other stuff that when we extract the virus and we filter out all the cells, but, you know, maybe a cell dies, it explodes, it, you know, this happens all the time, it's floating in the media and, and it ruptures and some of those proteins, some of those chemicals that, you know, the, the cell uses um, we'll probably get through with the with the virus when we're making the vaccine. But, you know, this is extremely minute amounts, um, like almost undetectable amounts, but we know it's there because people have had reactions. And that's pretty much the extent um, of, of, you know, why people would have reactions to a vaccine that's made in a certain cell line. But it's not like containing any of these cells, really. Mhm. And so what do you what would you tell somebody who says, well, there's there's a you know, these uh, some of these vaccines are made with aborted fetal cells? Yeah. So so that's that's the one of Oxford. The Oxford has get, been gotten flack with that. Um, and so my response to that is, you know, well, it it's not like they're aborting fetuses or going and looking for aborted fetuses. This was, you know, a cell line that's been around for years and years. Um, but if you do have some sort of religious kind of or whatever, then the actual vaccine that's for you is the mRNA vaccine. And so the main benefit of the mRNA vaccine is is the RNA itself, uh, which is the main component of this, is all synthesized. 
And um, as we as we said, now this is true for the antigen or the Chinese vaccine, but so, so wait, um, that would mean that like somebody who is like vegan or has any objections ingredients wise, a synthetic vaccine is. Yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't have any of these proteins that might you know that a dog might find or anything like that uh, that might be in mm -hmm. dog cells or egg cells or whatever. Um, so so that's the main benefit here is for for this particular question is that the mrna is all synthetic it's you know it's really really easy to make this rna and then there's also one additional thing is you know as we kind of addressed with the antigen there's two steps one is you know giving the the immune system something to recognize but also activating the immune system now the attenuated virus does this naturally because it's a virus and so it has those pathways but um, and this is actually what I did my PhD on is that the um, mRNA mimics the mRNA from virus and this mRNA itself is um, is shaped like a panhandle or shaped like a pan like a frying pan and um, at the end of the pan, at the handle of it, there's a little molecule called a triphosphate, a triphosphate, and it's just one extra little molecule, but your body is extremely sensitive towards that molecule. And when your protein, which is called Rig I, it's just a protein that is a, your, essentially your natural way to detect RNA viruses, um, rig I will sound the alarm for the immune system. And so the great thing about the M theoretically about the mRNA virus is that one, it triggers things naturally. So you don't have to use snake, you know, shark oil or any of this other stuff. Sorry, I keep on saying snake oil, but also it, uh, <laughs> you don't also have to, you know, you know, you're I, talking about the mRNA vaccine, not the vaccine. mRNA virus. Yeah. 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 Yeah, well, okay. sorry, yes, and and I apologize because COVID or or what we say is SARS two, which is a real name, uh, mm -hmm. is is an R, is a RNA virus. So um, got it. So that's oh. what the vaccine is is, you know, it basically mimics the the virus without producing the virus. Got it. So the only thing that you're producing with the mRNA is you're just producing the the essentially the shell of the virus um, on its own without any of the other important stuff. So you're not, you know, there's a, there's 30 different proteins in uh, SARS-2, and a lot of those are, you know, there to battle the immune system, to shut down the immune system, or, you know, there are actually uh, different proteins that will um, activate the immune system in a really, really bad way. And that's where we get scar tissue in these really severe cases with overactivation of your immune system. So how do we know that the vaccine won't overactivate the immune system? Because um, those proteins that overact aren't there. Okay. So so that's the main that's the main kind of point behind this is that um, none of that really really harmful stuff is there. And so I remember you know I I I 
did my PhD in influenza and I was speaking with my influenza uh, professor recently and we were looking at all the different proteins in SARS-2 that attack the immune system of your cell. So there's two different immune systems. There's a body immune system and your cell immune system. And so the virus really attacks your cellular immune system. And we looked at all the different interactions and it's just exponentially more than influenza and it just overwhelms your cells um you know with with influenza there's like one or two proteins that might do this one of which is the one i studied ns1b but with sars2 it it's a complete bombardment with all these different proteins so none of those are present none of those are present in the vaccine in the in the mrna vaccine correct right okay um, I know there's, we didn't, um, well, I don't know if you want to answer this question or not, but it just occurred to me about the antigen vaccines. Sure. Utilizing um, an adjuvant, um, which some, I don't know if that's the same thing as the squalene oil, or I, I know that a lot of other vaccines have aluminum hydroxide, aluminum hydroxide in them as that. Something to, to either... Can you explain that? Well, yeah, so um, there's a few different things in here that might be controversial and stuff like that. Uh, the the kind of one that's always been controversial is the thiomersal, which is essentially um, has mercury in it, but the molecule itself um, completely, uh, it, it has a half-life of about, I think, uh, either off the top of my head, either has a half-life of 45 days or it completely flushed from your body in 45 days. Either way, okay. it's it's it does not last long. And the thing is, is essentially what thiomersal is, is it's it's ethanol, it's it's alcohol, but instead of an oxygen, it has a mercury. So you know, when people are concerned about mercury, which does stick around in your body and stuff like that, well, oxygen has as much similarities to ethanol as mercury does to thiomersal. They're completely different chemicals, <laughs> right? Um, okay. and, and it's completely processed by your body. But because of that word mercury, there are a lot of um, things that, that, you know, people people are not happy with and and so what thiomersal is was primarily used for i don't think they're actually using it anymore and, and from from what i read a few years ago when i was reading up on it and um it was used as an antibiotic to make sure that you know uh there isn't any bacteria growing or anything detrimental growing in the vaccine and uh that itself has been removed from vaccines and, and thiomersal was only used in very very few vaccines that you needed to be used multiple times uh so something that would need to be injected into the same person multiple times so it wasn't even really in the majority of vaccines anyways um so as far as and, off the and to be clear none of this like mercury ethanol is in the covid vaccine no, not You're that. talking about no, other vaccines. I'm talking about yeah, previous this, vaccines. Um, and, and, and they stopped you know, using it a, a while, like years ago. 
Yeah, and and from what I've read, it's actually kind of made vaccines a little bit more dangerous on the bacterial infections because of that. Um, and but it was it, that decision was made purely on public decision. There was no evidence to show that it had any sort of um, detrimental effects. So. You know, as far as your question with aluminum hydroxide, I haven't looked up that specific molecule, but um, I would assume that maybe it's probably doing something in place of uh, thiomerosol. So there's, you know, a lot of these compounds that you'll see, they'll either act as like something to prevent contamination from a bacteria, or it will be um, um, used to activate the immune system. But that's really the activation of the immune system one seems to only be necessary in the antigen uh, vaccines, which is the Chinese one. Hello again, it's me in post. I needed to clarify the aluminum hydroxide because I did some research on it and I want to complete the episode. Um, so the aluminum hydroxide itself is used in various different vaccines um, throughout history. It was actually added over concerns of safety of the vaccines, and it was added as a way to make the vaccines more effective so you could basically inject less of the vaccine. Um, so with this aluminum, it does make it last longer and the uptake into the cells um, which you know is how much how much of the vaccine can actually get into the cells is increased with the addition of aluminum now the aluminum is added in very very small quantities um, in the orders of micrograms um, so it is a very very low amount and aluminum is one of the most abundant um, metals on the planet and it's in our air and food and water. Um, so at that level, it I don't think it would have any sort of toxic effects. And uh, throughout history with the vaccines, a single dose or even a double dose of a vaccine has not shown to contain enough aluminum to be toxic. Now, as a paper that I found in May 30th, um, after the conclusion of phase one and phase two um, clinical trials for the Oxford and Moderna vaccine, um, both of those do not contain aluminum. I was not able to find something on the final product. Um, and not that's not out there, that was just a lack of time on my availability. Um, I wasn't able to find Pfizer in that paper, but because Pfizer and Moderna are very similar, I would assume that the amount of aluminum would be similar in both uh, vaccines, which is, again, they don't contain it um, as of May 30th, 2020. So speaking of like risks in, you know, in vaccines, I know, Stacey, you know, I kind of had some brief conversation um, with kind of a trend or um, with people who have autoimmune disorders and taking vaccines and how it seems to kind of be a correlation even with people who've uh, become infected with COVID-19 um, and um, who have autoimmune disorders 
there's kind of that whole conversation, which I think is incredibly interesting, but I know really nothing about. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, I guess that would kind of be a, an interesting segue into the next question here, um, mm -hmm. which um, is, uh, is, is it safe to take a vaccine, in particular the COVID-19 vaccine, if you have, if you know that you have an autoimmune disorder? Well, I'm going to expand that to answer other people's questions, too, that I've gotten, which is, have you recovered from an autoimmune disorder or something like, you know, recently, mm -hmm. have you have you recovered from cancer or something like that? And, you know, my simple answer is, is, is I don't know because that hasn't been tested. And I wouldn't recommend anyone with an autoimmune disorder to get it. Now, with the... With the mRNA vaccine itself, it 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 purely doesn't seem to be anything that would trigger this. But unless we have willing participants and unless we can get data on that specific group, then you know, uh, uh, you know, I don't yeah. think that that should be mandated. But you know, the important thing about that is probably the people with autoimmune disorders as as Stacy brought up a, a statistic which is what uh 25 million or was it 23 million I think it was 23 million um in the American population have have an autoimmune disorder Yeah so that's um, and and the and the the reason that question came up to me was because of a um I think it was kind of the same article I was reading that um a high percentage it's over it's over 50% of the people they tested who went into hospital um, who had COVID-19 have markers for various one or more markers for an autoimmune disorder. And that seemed like, you know, a high percentage of people going into hospital mm -hmm. related to this autoimmune disorder issues. Yeah. And, and I mean, also, you know, so, so one of the things is, is autoimmune disorders can also be something on the level of autism, um, which I did, I did a lot of just my personal research on. Um, but essentially, you know, autism, similar to autoimmune disorders, it isn't just one mutation. It's, it's a whole network of mutations that need to come together. And similar to cancer, for cancer to be fully activated, you actually need three mutations in different protein groups or different, you know, kind of groups of families of proteins. Um, so essentially, you know, you can also have, and this is also true for diabetes, right? It, it isn't just one mutation that's going to give you diabetes. You kind of need to work your way up to it. So even though there's 23 million people with auto full-blown autoimmune disorder, there's probably a bunch of people that might be pretty close and, you know, something happens to them or something like that where, where it triggers. Now, um, the one thing about that paper that you sent to me was that it wasn't really clear whether it was whether they had the autoimmune disorder before COVID or if they developed it. That was the one question I had with that paper. Um, and, and, but um, as far as, you know, the, the one point I kind of wanted to just quickly go back to is that, 
the people with autoimmune disorders, again, probably shouldn't be getting the vaccine, uh, but they also probably shouldn't mm -hmm. be getting the virus because the virus is going to be a lot worse for them, um, mm -hmm. which means that anyone that they know that is healthy within a tested group, which is healthy uh, you know, people over the age of 12 without any sort of, you know, immune disorders. And I'm going to post a link uh, with this episode on the criteria they used. And it was, it was pretty strict, you know, because they didn't want any variation in the numbers, of course. Um, but, but those people should be vaccinated um, to protect the mm -hmm. loved ones that do have these autoimmune disorders that, you know, if they get COVID, um, it could be really bad for them, you know, like, like, um, Stacey was saying, you know, it, it's quite possible that 50% of those people, uh, had some sort of autoimmune disorder, or even a pre, you know, kind of close to autoimmune disorders. Um, now one thing that would be really interesting to look at, one thing that I really want to be looking at in the future is like whether COVID could, um, uh, activate or generate an autoimmune disorder um, or something like that. Now, this kind of comes up with long hauler disease and stuff like that, where, you know, um, after COVID infects them, some of these people, you know, are not feeling good, fatigued. Uh, they get, they have the COVID come back. This is called reactivation. And that's very similar to what mm -hmm. um, the herpes virus does. So the herpes virus will in, in, infect you and you'll fight it off and then it will hide in your neurons and you know maybe a few months later when you're sick or you're stressed or something like that it will reactivate mm -hmm. and you can get this you know over and over and over throughout your life and some people get it once and it's all gone um but that virus will always be with you so we don't really know you know what's going to happen to some of these people 10 years down the line they you know some of these people could be getting covid over and over for you know several years we don't know that yet um, so so yeah, that's why you know, covid is such a dangerous thing is because we know how it's going to affect you now there's a three percent mortality rate there's you know an 18 to 20 percent hospitalization rate uh, you know, there's a good chance you're, if you're in the hospital, there's, you know, probably a 30% chance that you're going to be in the ICU. Um, but there's also a large percentage that there are long haulers or stuff like that. And there's also been um, studies of people that are asymptomatic or mild that came away with um, like 30% of those people would come away with um, scar tissue on their heart and their lungs from fighting the virus, mm -hmm. even though they didn't feel anything. Um, and, and I think a very, you know, like a 10% of that, or sorry, 20% of those, um, actually developed, um, a potentially fatal heart disease and they were asymptomatic. There were 19 mm. and a half, you know, that was average, right? We don't know exactly which ones got it, but 19 and a half average. So we, we know that the virus is death. Isn't your only option here. Um, and I think that's what mm -hmm. the message I really need to get across is that, um, you know, that, that, that's pretty much it, is that, you know, we don't know how, you know, even if you survive it, we don't know how sh much shorter your life will be, um, um, after the yeah. post infection. So does that mean that like it's possibly for at least 
a lot of the population who's healthy and kind of in that category, most likely it's obviously your choice at this point. Uh, it, it might feel like it seem like it's um, better to get the vaccine than to get COVID and, and develop the antibodies from getting the actual virus versus developing the antibodies from vaccine. Yeah. And I think, you know, if I can just throw in one more quick point here, I know we're kind of going long, but um, Stacy brought this really good point of, you know, well, people with moderate, um, um, moderate cases, which, you know, moderate is kind of hospitalized people. Um, so, or, you know, severe is ICU or death, um, you know, people with moderate COVID reactions, have actually um, generated pretty good antibodies. Um, but, you know, this kind of comes down to all the people that don't generate good antibodies. And those are all the people with mild reactions or asymptomatic. And a big portion of those people, those antibodies go away within six months. Now, um, and, and so the biggest problem here is that the virus itself is covered in 40% sugars sugars called glycans and this kind of looks like you know seaweed that you would see floating in the ocean or something like that that's what it looks like so imagine you know again um i think when we're talking about you know having a virus in your body and you know the immune system reacting to it we're looking at um those antibodies kind of being the detectors and the protein the spike protein is kind of like a face and so your your antibodies are looking for that face. Now, one of the issues is that if that face is covered in 40% hair, let's just say, like long, dense hair, it's going to be really difficult to recognize them. And that's why the virus actually goes by without too many people being infected that's why a large population is actually th that's the main theory for you know a lot of these asymptomatic asymptomatic or okay people, um is is because so they're developing like if any like very very weak antibodies yeah and and yeah because they never really recognized that i was there um i mean also yeah the, okay the the you know because also let's let's say this, that your cells also are covered in these glycans. And the reason that they're covered in these glycans is so they can signal to each other and so that they're not attacked. Now, the vaccine itself doesn't have the glycans. Well, the attenuated virus does because it's kind of an, uh, you know, it represents the virus naturally, um, although weakened. So that's kind of the, the, the main thing here is that um, that sugar coating, with, if you remove that sugar coating, you're going to be generating much better antibodies. And so that's also theoretically the, the much better idea behind, you know, why, why we've been really interested in these mRNA vaccines. Yeah, and I had, I had wondered about, um, you know, some of the comments in the, uh, the support and recovery uh, group that I joined up with um, online for the long haulers because uh, a lot of people had asked these questions like well if i well if i've if i have covid like don't i have antibodies now or you know do i really need to get the vaccine since i've gotten sick with this and what was interesting is that some people who 
some people who had a mild case ended up donating. Uh, they wanted to donate plasma. Um, mm -hmm. And some of them had a really good antibody response. It seemed so inconsistent. Some of them had a good antibody response and donated a couple of times. And some of the people who had more difficult cases went and they could they their antibodies were levels were low so it it seems really hard to um to figure out who i mean in general it seems like the more the more severe you know the case the more likely a person is to have a good antibody response but um but that, that it's not always it's not <laughs> completely consistent yeah, it's not it always true seem like that's always the case no it, wow. it it isn't and so actually what what was really interesting and and this was actually being used in third world countries really early on is you know regeneron used in antibody therapy to help president trump kind of re recover um but those that was like synthetic antibodies that were designed and it's super expensive no one else is going to be able to afford that get access to it um you know and you know maybe a hundred thousand people total will be able to get access to that um but very early on third world countries that didn't have this kind of synthetic stuff like that that's exactly what they were doing and they were taking people that had recovered and they were testing those antibodies in, you know, in a lab with something called an ELISA, um, which is essentially you just put protein, uh, put, you know, the spike protein on a plastic plate and then you see if the antibodies bind or not and you measure how tightly they bind. Um, and the people with really, really good antibody responses, they would donate that plasma. And that's how they treated a lot of their, you know, severe patients. I mean, and but also granted, third world countries had a lot less cases than the US. So they were able to do this. Um, um, but it was it was a very, very, you know, interesting way to do it. Now, obviously that that isn't a good method for mass. Uh, production because it's only really good for treatment. Um, it's not going to help you with prevention because you're not going to just magically gain those antibodies and you're not going to be replicating those antibodies. Those antibodies are only going to be around in your body until they go away, until your body flushes them out. Right, and as you've you know explained in this um, in this episode so far already that with the mRNA vaccines, like some people will say. Well, if I got, if I already had COVID and I developed a good antibody response, well, and also aren't the vaccines being utilizing antibodies from people who had strong antibody responses, then you could say, well, not the mRNA vaccine yeah. because it doesn't. And so I, I think it's good to clear that up also because the not, you know, most of the vaccines don't use that, the antibody responses. I was just saying that there, that I've read some discussion online also for people who are a little hesitant that they say, well, if I already had COVID and I had a strong mm -hmm. antibody response, um, there's this idea that some of the vaccines are, are being made with, like maybe there's some confusion between what the vaccine is and what this, um, this therapeutic that utilizes antibodies from people who have recovered already you know, that they think that some of the vaccines are actually utilizing antibodies from 
people who've been sick with COVID. Yeah, perfect. That's a great, great thing to point out. I mean, you know, one of the things that's actually happening isn't that we are, um, we're not using these antibodies. What we're doing is we're training your body to make your own antibodies. That's what we're trying to do. Um, that's the yeah. whole purpose is to train you to make your own antibodies so you can fight it naturally. Um, you know, and, and to a lot of the people that say they have, you know, good antibody response, my first question is like, well, how do you know? Um, you know, were you tested? Did you have a positive test? There's also been a lot of people that I hear that is like, well, I probably got COVID because, uh, you know, I was sick back in February and a bunch of my friends were sick and, you know, no one was being tested. So I probably got it. And my first thing is, well, if you weren't tested, pretend you never got it. Um, if you didn't get a positive test, pretend you didn't got it. Because, you know, even uh, even my brother, our brother, I guess. I guess we have the same brother, huh? Um, our, <laughs> we do. Uh, yeah. Our brother, uh, um, you know, was, was sick with a cold for, you know, several weeks. And, you know, it turned out to be some sort of, uh, you know, a nasal nasal drip thing hopefully he doesn't mind that i'm talking about him uh his medical conditions um but you know <laughs> it's that cold yeah but like you know he went and got tested and and he wasn't positive because it was a standard cold so you know one of the things to yeah. to know is that covid is the cold but it's a it's a it's a cold that came from bats or snakes it didn't come from, you know, the, this general stuff. It's not anything like a general cold, but you'll get the same symptoms. The, the main problem with COVID isn't the cold. It isn't the virus. It's your immune system's response to the virus. So yeah. we're training yeah. your immune system to have a good response versus a violent response because there's two ways. There is antibodies, which are very smart and delicate and they know what to look for or if you've ever had a blister or if you've ever you know had a lot of swelling and pussiness and all that um that is neutrophils that's your cytokine storm that's coming up because it recognizes things and what happens with your with with whenever you get a cut the first thing that goes to that cut to make sure nothing's there is these you know essentially nuclear weapons that just blow everything up because they don't they don't care whether it's your cells whether it's viruses they think it's better to just nuke everything and and you know sort things out you know shoot first ask questions later whereas your whereas your um, antibodies are kind of the the smart detectors and they figure out who's who before they start you know mm -hmm. killing the virus got it well, I mean, this has been incredibly um, useful information, Ryan and Stacey. So, you know, thank you for raising all these questions and Ryan for your expertise. I know um, you have a lot of it, so, so appreciated. I think, you know, at the end of the day, um, I think that people, this is just my personal opinion, should be able to make their own decision and have the choice, you know, to get the vaccine. But I feel like also that it's really important for people to really understand the facts and the science, you know, before um, they make that decision. 
because I mean, even for me through this conversation and through, you know, being a part of this particular episode, I know that I've learned like so much that I have never even heard of on mainstream news. And of course, never listened to social media news <laughs> and hearsay, uh, you know, um, so yeah, I think that this is um, really helpful for people to make an educated um, decision. Yeah. Um, and yeah. and I, I'll let you guys kind of discuss how you feel about this and stuff like that. But I, I kind of wanted to put one one more thing out there, which is that um, kind of, you know, the 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 risks that we're running right now is, you know, when when um, scientists and stuff like that were warning about staying indoors and shutting down during May or June when, when numbers were looking much better. It wasn't because we were afraid of the summer, it's because we were afraid of the winter, of what's happening right now. This is what we were trying to prevent. Mm -hmm. Now with this next year, our goal is to prevent this from becoming endemic. And we want the more people that are infected with the virus, the higher the risk that this virus will mutate into something that mm -hmm. we no longer recognize, which has already been seen with, you know, the infection in minks in Denmark. And there was also a strain that popped up in Vietnam that was three times as contagious. Um, you know, the, the normal mm -hmm. contagious rate of, of this is 2.0 on, on, you know, the RO factor. And, um, mm -hmm. and this new Vietnam one was like 6.6 .6 or something like that. So, Luckily, mm -hmm. they contain that and all that. So, you know, there is that shot that if we don't get this under control this summer, um, there's there 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 won't be a way to stop it. Um, mm -hmm. And so, nope. mutate know, and get worse. Yeah, <laughs> and, and we'll then back to and then one. and then the vaccine that we have won't be worth anything because we'll have strains out there that the vaccine can't recognize. Yeah. It won't, it won't mimic those yeah. new strains. So, you yeah. know, in my, in my, you know, I, I'll kind of leave my personal opinions out of this, but I, I did want to kind of put that's, that's the risk that we're running by not having um, people that are willing to take the, take the vaccine. Um, and like I said, I'm not kind of saying that people that are sick or have autoimmune disorders or have reactions or anything like that. But if you haven't really had any reaction to a vaccine before, I, you know, I, I, I think I'm going to take it. So. But I just wanted to say, um, you know, in a, in a previous conversation that Gwen and I were having, how uh, we're talking about the importance of education and um you know mm -hmm. I, and i listened i i listened to this interview uh this one doctor interview another doctor named monica gandhi and it really had a lot of impact on mm -hmm. me because she was talking about she's a she's a public health um she works in public health and she is a researcher as well from stanford and she was saying how important it is not to shame um not to shame people that it's really she works with a HIV mm -hmm. population in the Bay Area and that it's really best in terms of public health to give clear consistent information 
and then let people make their decision from there. Mm -hmm. And if the information isn't, if the information is inconsistent, you know, it's hard to trust. People have more fear. If they don't understand mm -hmm. how it works, it's easier to have fear. And, you know, and, you know, especially like also if we talk about how we need at least 70% of people to have either had a strong uh, immune response or to get the vaccine, um, that if we, if, if that's what we need is 70 to 80%, then it doesn't seem like we need to, as a as a society, force people to take a vaccine. What we need is mm -hmm. good, clear information, education, and when people get that, they're more likely to follow the the recommendations. Mm-hmm. And so instead that of seventy percent just happens naturally. Yeah, it yeah. happens naturally, and then you don't get this big backlash of people saying, "Well, they're forcing us," or. <laughs> or the information mm -hmm. is unclear yep. and inconsistent <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean that I remember that being a very big aha moment for me as well, Stacy. Just that whole approach. Yeah. Yeah, and and I totally agree with that. I mean, I you know, one one of the biggest problems with this last year was inconsistency and and uh, you know, unfortunately uh, as you know, Stacy and I spoke is that a lot of the hypocrisy as far as like oh you know you can eat indoors but you have to wear a mask to your table and but you can take it off and blah blah, blah like you're safe all that right. is is politician <laughs> or economic reasons none of that is for public health you know reasons it, you know if, if scientists had their way uh no one would be eating indoors ever um for for a year and so the other thing too is that you know vaccines are just one tool we we really you know and if people don't want to be vaccinated you know it's going to lower that that 70 percent and and honestly if people aren't doing this i think it's going to be much higher it's going to be more in the 80 to 90 percent vaccination but if people are wearing masks if people are washing their hands if people are isolating after visiting relatives uh you know th this christmas is going to get really bad um you know as far as traveling and all that um but if we can have that kind of people helping out we don't need as many people vaccinated so the, that that's kind mm -hmm. of that's also kind of the one of the points that that i want to make is that you know we are going to need to ask a you know a good portion of americans to take a risk and take the vaccine to help out someone that they never met on the Everybody trip would have an autoimmune yeah. disorder. But also yeah. we're going to need to have everyone wearing masks. You know, the masks I think need to be mandated. Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, Gwen, I think do you that's have, a good place to, uh, do to you leave it lasting, actually. Lasting I mean, thoughts? you know, I think that, yeah, I know. I think that ties a nice little bow on the conversation. Okay. Well, uh, I guess thank you everyone for listening. I hope, um, again, we, we answered the questions that I had come in. Um, again, some of those questions that I had come in was, you know, are people um, that have kind of survived cancer or, you know, uh, recovered from lupus or, you know, going through cancer treatment, should they begin the vaccine? I don't think so. There are a few people that say you should. Um, 
I, I, I disagree with that. Um, just until until we get tested, I don't think that there is going to be a problem, but that needs to be tested before we have any sort of mass stuff. So, again, the people that worth the risk. Should, yeah, yeah. So, uh, the people that you know, uh, when when the vaccines could be ready, let's let's also put a timeline on this. Most people won't have access to the vaccine, uh, you know, until this summer. But you know, um, this summer, if 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 you're healthy and stuff like that, um, please research, ask me questions, um, let me help you get educated, and let's have a conversation about this. Um, because you know, I I I also want to avoid um, forcing people to do this against their will because that's not going to work out for anyone. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on and thank you thanks, for Ryan. your really yeah, good thanks, research, Stacy. Um, it was it was really amazing. We're gonna post all of the links. Thank you so much, Ryan. Have a good one. Bye bye now. Okay. Bye.